And now I pray, Lord, for, for this time of preaching your word. Your word is amazing. It's so powerful and <laughs> countercultural and encouraging and strengthening. And I, I just pray that you would do all that in us today, that you'd mold us, shape us, teach us, encourage us, convict us, meet us, Lord, in your word. Help me as I preach. Give me the heart you want me to have and, and the clarity of mind that I want and, and to be in accord with your word. So come now, I pray, Jesus. Amen. Good. Well, let's go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. If you need a Bible, we'd like you all to have one you can look on with so you can be studying the scriptures with us with the Bible open in front of you. Really important. So raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. Don't be bashful about that. James chapter 1 is on page 1011 in the Bibles we're passing out. So we're in our third week of uh, studying this book of James. And uh, James, the book of James actually is a letter uh, written by James, who was Jesus' brother, half-brother, I guess, technically speaking. So uh, James is Jesus' brother, and all through Jesus' earthly ministry, James was not interested. James was scoffing, just didn't buy it, did his own thing entirely. But that changed after Jesus was crucified, killed, tortured to death on the cross, and then Jesus rose from the dead, alive, bodily, raised, after Jesus was raised, he made a special point of finding James, his brother, and meeting up with him. And so Jesus met up with his earthly brother, James. And we don't know what happened in that encounter, but we do know that James was a different man after that. James bought it. He knew Jesus wasn't just his earthly brother. He was God in the flesh, come to earth to die to pay for sins, break the power of sin, pay for the guilt of our sins so we could be changed and forgiven and restored. And James just embraced Jesus as more than an earthly brother, as his savior, his Lord, and his treasure. He's a changed man. And he became a major figure, a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and was completely sold out for Christ. So much so that when the Jerusalem council called him before them and said, you have a choice here, you either renounce Christ or we stone you to death, he chose Christ. And that was his home going that day. I love James. Studly dude. Okay, godly man. And he writes this letter to Jewish believers who had lived in Jerusalem but when persecution broke out, intense persecution, they had to flee for their lives, leaving behind, it seems probable, homes, businesses, possessions. And they fled. We can go to the next slide. They fled to um, northern, so here's Jerusalem down here, and they fled to Syria, and then this whole northern area of Palestine here. And so if you can imagine the difficulties that this would have entailed, what if you were at home this afternoon and you heard, you've got to be out of town in 30 minutes, the mob is coming, leave now. Pack up and go. And then like, you know, you're walking to Morgan Hill or, you know, wherever, okay? Over to Merced or something, I don't know. So if you can just imagine, this is the, he, he's writing to believers who are now essentially homeless refugees living up uh, far from their homes. 
And so James writes this letter and he sends it north to them. And the main point he starts with is he wants to encourage them in this time of suffering. So we saw a few weeks ago in verses 2 through 4, he tells them, brothers, sisters, count your suffering as joy. Count it as joy. It's a gift to you from Jesus because if you will trust him through this, your faith in him will be strengthened. You've seen the things you can't trust in. Possessions, homes, you can't trust those things. Take your trust out of those things. Put your trust more in Jesus. This trial is a gift to you from Jesus to refine and strengthen your faith because as your faith is refined and strengthened, you will be established all the more to be walking strong, bold, confident all the way to heaven. So this trial is a gift to you from Jesus of strength for the journey. Thank him for it. Rejoice in it. That's verses two through four. But he also knows that one of the needs we have when we go through trials is for wisdom. Okay, I mean, just imagine if you were the head of this family and you're walking with you. There's a picture right there. Okay, you're walking along through here. You think, where are we going to live? Where are we going to stay? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to be able to find any money? You've got lots of needs for wisdom. And so in verses 5 through 8, James says, listen, ask God for wisdom. He will give to you generously and without reproach. But ask him in full surrender. Not saying, why has this happened? What? Just saying, Lord, we trust your leading in our lives. Whatever wisdom you give us, we know it'll be good. What do you want us to do? He will tell you what to do. That's verses 5 through 8. So his whole point in the beginning of this letter is to encourage them, strengthen them, help them in this time of trial. But now I think at this point, as James is writing this, he realizes there's one more crucial topic he has to hit on. To strengthen them in this time of very serious trial. And it has to do with helping them understand social status. Okay? Social status. Because they've just experienced a tremendous loss of social status. And so James knows if they're going to be able to rejoice in their suffering, trust Jesus in their suffering, rely on him for wisdom, they've got to understand what Jesus says, some radical things Jesus says about social status, because they've just lost that big time. And so that's the point that James deals with in verses 9 through 11. And then in verse 12, he kind of sums up this beginning section regarding suffering and trials. So let's talk about social status this morning. All right? Let's dig into this just by starting off with how important is social status to us, to you? As I thought about this, it struck me, every culture, no matter how diverse, no matter how different, no matter different skin color, different language, different place they live geographically, every single culture has social markers by which people evaluate their social status. Every single culture does. I remember reading about a a culture, I think it's in the Amazon area, Amazon jungles, where men, as soon as like they reach adolescence, they start to put wooden discs in their lips. You guys ever seen this? Okay. And, and then they make them larger and larger and larger and larger. And the bigger the lip, the bigger the dude, right? I mean, that's kind of how it works, right? You got a big lip, you're the man. Okay. All right. Every culture's got them. Uh, remember when we were in Nicaragua, uh, on a short term missions trip a while back, a young girl walked up so cute. She said, how many, how many vodka do you guys have? Is that's cows, right? In Spanish. Am I close? Okay. All right. Because in rural Nicaragua, the way that they evaluate people's social status is by, well, that he's got two cows. He's got three cows. Okay, that's like the big deal, all right? 
So in Silicon Valley, how's social status ranked here? House? Cars? Bank account? iPads? Little advertisement there? Okay, that's all right. One of those is okay. Droids? All right. Uh, um, education? What company you work for? What um, position you have in that company? Right? Those are, the, you know, those are some of the things that in this culture, in some cultures it's big lips, other cultures it's, it's houses. All right? And now the way that that works is when you, because of that, when you gain in social status, you feel strong and significant and important. Right? Right? And when you face a decline in social status, how do you feel? Shamed? Humiliated? Right? So that's how social status works, just in, in, in cultures. And so James readers, let's just try to get our hearts wrapped around what they've just experienced. They've just experienced a terrible decline in social status. I mean, if you can just imagine, there you were yesterday in Jerusalem, in your home, oblivious to what was going to happen, in your home, maybe you had you know, some you know, little flock of, of sheep or goats, or you had a little orchard or something, or you... You know, you, you, you were stable, okay? You were open to sleep in your own bed. And, and now, today, you are a homeless refugee heading towards Syria. So not only would you have the obvious difficulties of where we're going to sleep, where we're going to stay, but, but wouldn't you also feel a level of shame and humiliation in your social status? Can you feel that a little bit? Okay. Uh, just try to you know, bring it up to date in terms of today. Like, what if what if you you've been in, in your home with your family and then you get laid off, and then your home gets foreclosed on and you lose your home, and so then now you are in a, like a little one bedroom apartment with your whole family. Now you'd have all the difficulties of figuring out how do we do this with our family in one bedroom, all the inconveniences of that. That would be hard enough. But wouldn't you also struggle with feeling a sense of shame? and humiliation in the lowering of the social status. Wouldn't you? Are you feeling this? Okay. Let's think about the job fronts. So back to the, to the Jerusalem refugees. So yesterday, you, know, you were a craftsman. You were an artisan of some sorts. You had a respectable, or at least a, you know, a, a job that was providing for you and your family. Things were working financially. You've left that all behind. And now you're wondering, how are you going to feed your family? And maybe all you can, here's this guy who says, well, you can, if you work for me, I'll give you room and board for you and your family, so you're just going to eat and live. And that, so in addition to all the budgetary constraints that would mean, can you see that you'd also feel a level of shame or humiliation in that lowering of social status? I mean, let, again, bring it up to date. Let's say that, that you've got a, a management position at a company, Reputable, well-known company, management position, you know, respected, whatever. Uh, they downsize, you get laid off, and now you're not working, can't find a job. Or the best job you can get is an entry-level position somewhere. So, obviously, financial questions, how do you make that work? But can you feel that in addition to that, there would be this sense of shame and the humiliation of that social lowering? Can you feel that? So James, I think at this point in his letter, is keenly aware that for him to be able to strengthen his brothers and sisters in the faith who he's loved and pastored and cared for, as he's writing this letter to send it north, he's got to help them think through social status. That's what he wants to 
help them understand. He wants to help them think it through, understand social status. He wants to teach them what Jesus taught about social status. And as I thought about this, I think we need to figure this out too. Don't we? Because I think we are all much more into social status than we think we are. I mean, we need to just ponder how much of my, your, our identity and sense of significance and importance is bound up in my career, my possessions, my house, my bank account, whatever it might be. I mean, how much is tied up in that? How much of your meaning and joy is tied up in possessions? Uh, I thought about asking it this way. How often do you feel inferior to someone else with a higher social status? Or how often do you feel superior to someone with a lower social status? So I think we've got to ponder this and think this through. How, how should followers of Jesus think about social status? Now, Jesus came into a world 2,000 years ago. God in the flesh came into the world, into a world that, whose thinking was distorted by sin in every area, especially in this area of social status. Jesus came into this world. And he came to die on the cross, pay for the guilt of our sin, our distance, rebellion from God, he paid for that, he was punished in our place, and he broke the power of sin so that we could be set free from the wrong ways of thinking that we've all had because of our sin, and one of the ways that Jesus wants to change our thinking is in this area of social status. And so Jesus wants us to form countercultural communities of love which live differently than those around us, so that we can show San Jose, here's how people can live who've been saved and reconciled with God. Here's how we view social status. He wants us to live counterculturally. And so that's what we're trying to do in our home groups. So that each of our home groups is a countercultural community of love, living Jesus' teachings, particularly, we're going to talk this morning, about this teaching of social status. So what does Jesus have to say about social status? Status. James tells us in verses 9 through 12. Look at what he says. James 1, 9 through 12. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because, like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay, James 1, 9 through 12. Now James 9, I'm sorry, in verse 9, he focuses on those with low social status. So what does James say in that verse to believers who have a low social status? Read it again, verse 9. He says, let the lowly brother, brother, believer, who is in a low social status time, 
Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So James would say, if in the path of following Jesus, and does the path of following Jesus ever cause you to have a lowered social status? Yes. Okay. Can it ever cause you to have a higher social status? Yes. Okay. But it all, following Jesus can cause you to have a lower social status. And so what James says here is, let the lowly brother, there's something that you can boast in. Now the word boast is a little dangerous. Uh, because I think more and more in the English language, the word boast has connotations of like, you're kind of cocky, and you're kind of seeing how you're better than other people, okay? In the Greek language, the focus is more, it's, it's a word describing intense joy and celebration in something. Where you say, yes, like when the sharks scored that overtime goal, and they're like, yes, okay? It's boasting. That's, it's like, it's an intense joy and celebration. And so what James is saying is that there's something, if you are in a lower social status, there's something you can boast, rejoice, celebrate in. And what it is, is your exaltation. Now, there's two different words. Exaltation, E-X-U-L-T, that's like being full of joy. That's not the word he uses here. It's exaltation, E-X-A-L-T. And if somebody is exalted, what happens? They are raised up, right? And so what James is saying is to the lowly brothers, if in the path of following Jesus you have a lowered status of living, exalt, boast, rejoice, celebrate your future exaltation, where you will be exalted. You know, what's that mean? What's this future exaltation that we're going to have. And the way to answer a question like this when you're doing your Bible study is you want to start off by reading the verses before and the verses after because usually authors will give you, they'll tell you, they'll give you clues to what they're talking about. So you just want to sit back and think, what might exaltation be and kind of spin all kinds of theories in your mind? You look at the book. And so I looked at the verses before, didn't find any help there. Looked at the verses after. Bingo. Verse 12. Let me read this verse, because I'm, I'm reading, thinking, I'm trying to find something that sounds, feels like exaltation being lifted up, and read verse 12 and see if you see what I saw there. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Anything in there that feels like exaltation? What? The crown, right? When... when when you get crowned, you're being exalted. I mean, let's say that I had a crown here today. Not just like a pretend crown, but like a real... The crowns mean something, right? Okay? Let's say that I had a real crown that really meant something. Let's say that I had the authority to do what that crown meant. Okay? Play along with me here, all right? Are you with me? And let's say I walked down to Alex here, and I... Alex, I crown you. Now, has he just been exalted? Yes, big time. And so that's exactly what, what James is talking about here. That, that's the exaltation. It, there, there's this crown of life that we're going to receive. So if you're trusting Jesus, because you're trusting Jesus, you're being steadfast in trials, you will receive, at the end of time, when Jesus returns, you will receive the crown of life. Now what is this crown? I, I want to just describe two aspects of it. One aspect is it's a crown of life. 
Which means that when Jesus comes back and you stand before him face to face, at that moment you will enter fully into the experience of life that you were created for. And that life is knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, the reason you're here, the reason your heart's beating, the reason you're alive, God made you to give you the joy of knowing him. That's why you're here. Knowing God in the person of Jesus is the infinitely greatest satisfaction you'll ever know. You will never be satisfied ever until you've tasted of the joy of knowing God in the person of Jesus. So stop looking at the other stuff. Nothing else is going to satisfy you. Only knowing God in the person of Jesus. And when Jesus comes back and you stand before him, at that point you'll receive the crown of life. It'll be life. You'll experience the life, the fullness of knowing him face to face, fully, unhindered by sin, right there in his very presence, first-hand experience. That's going to be yours because you're trusting Jesus and because he died on the cross for you. Now, the fact that that's the full experience doesn't mean we have to wait to taste any of the experience. We have tastes now. They're partial, they're only occasional, but they're powerful tastes now. And so even the partial and occasional tastes now of what it means to know God in the person of Jesus is infinitely more satisfying than anything else you could find. But you don't taste the full thing yet. You've gotten a down payment, just a little appetizer And the full spread of the banquet is coming when you'll see him face to face. So at the end of your life, you can be confident there's going to be the satisfaction of life, seeing him, beholding him. But not only will it be satisfaction, there's another aspect of the crown of life I want to kind of focus on mostly, and that is it'll be exaltation. It's not just a crown of life, it's a crown of life. It's It's a crown here he talks about. So let's think about what that's going to mean. First of all, the point isn't that God's going to be saying that you're better than anyone else. That's not the point he's making. But the point he's making is that when Jesus, actually, God gives it to all those who love him, verse 12, when God gives it to you, God is going to be stating about you before all of humanity I'm pleased with my son. I am pleased with my daughter. My daughter followed me faithfully, even into lowered social status. And I want all of you to know, I'm pleased. They did the right thing. They were following me. All of humanity see this. Okay, so let's just try to play this out. Let's say that that you're one of these refugees who's heading north into Syria, North Palestine. I want you to, to see how this would feel to boast in this exaltation that will be yours. So you, you used to have a relatively you know, high, average, whatever social status, and now you're a homeless refugee, so you've just had a terrible lowering of social status. You are a homeless refugee. And so what James would say to you is, boast, exult, celebrate, be full of joy in the exaltation, the future exaltation that is coming to you. In other words, the day is coming when all of humanity will be before God. Just think, so we're talking about God here, creator God, who, who spoke and a massive universe existed. So you will be before God and all of humanity will be before God. And you will receive the crown of life. 
God will call you up before all of humanity. Come on up, he'll say. You'll be there. And he'll take this crown and he, he will crown you. And he will say, you have done well. Say, I want all of you to know my servant has done well. I'm pleased. I'm pleased. He, she followed me. Even when it cost him, cost her, he was faithful. She was faithful. She trusted me. He trusted me. Even when it meant a lowering of social status, I want you all to know how faithful my servant was. I crown you with life forever. Rejoice in that, is what James is saying to these refugees. Your day is coming. So yes, you've got a low social status now. You will be exalted before all of humanity. God will say you've been faithful. Well done, good and faithful servants. That's what he's talking about. Now, let's apply this to some of you. Us. Okay, Some of you have experienced setbacks in terms of social status, in the area of employment, in the area of medical struggles, maybe in the area of a friend who, because you've, you've tried to love them and share Jesus with them, they've just simply turned their back and cut the friendship off. And, and even that is a lowering of social status. So many of you here in faithful walking with Jesus have experienced a lowering of of social status. Here's what will happen. Because you're trusting Jesus, and because he died on the cross for you, you will be exalted. You're low now. You will be lifted up. You'll stand before God with all of humanity. And God will call you forward. You individually come. My son, my daughter, I'm so glad you're saved. I'm so glad my son paid for your sins. Look at my servants. Faithful. Faithful even when it meant lowered social status. He loved me. Followed me. Served me. I'm pleased. He did the right thing. Look at him. You're exalted and he'll give you the crown of life. Do you, do you see how radical this is? Do you, do you see what this, what this means is that low social status in this world doesn't matter. Because it won't matter for eternity. It's temporary. And when in the cause of Christ, in walking with Jesus... The path of just faithful walking with Jesus means lowering of social status. You can boast in your future exaltation. So do that. Low social status in this world doesn't mean anything for the world to come. Or actually, low social status in this world for the cause of Christ means exaltation in the world to come. Okay, So those of you who are feeling humiliated at some level, shamed at some level, financial, job, relational, health, just difficulty, struggles, boast in your exaltation. You will be exalted. (coughs) See that? It's an amazing thing. But James isn't done. He wants to talk to 
believers with high social status. What he says is shocking. And that would refer to many, 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 many of us. In fact, in some ways, probably all of us compared to people in the world have high social status, okay? In some ways. Anyway, read verses 9 and 10. Look at what James says. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Now, scholars are kind of divided whether he's talking about unbelieving rich here or believing rich. Are these unbelievers that are rich or these believers that are rich? And I side with the ones who think this is believers who are rich. And the simple reason is that in verse 10, it's clear that James assumes you're going to bring some words down from verse 9 to fill in the blanks. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And I think the most natural read it is, and let the rich brother boast in his humiliation. He's assuming you're going to bring those words down from the previous verse. So, So I'm taking it that way. So what he's saying is that while believers with low social status should boast in their future exaltation, believers with high social status should boast in their future humiliation. What does that mean? Okay, we'll keep reading. Verse 10, And let the rich brother boast in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now you could take that as judgment against the rich man, and that's why some scholars take this as referring to unbelieving rich people. But there's another way to take this as well. And that is what James is saying, is that if you are, have a high social status... The reality is that when Jesus Christ returns, everything in this life that has given you a high social status will be gone. It will just vanish. It will all be gone. And that will be, in a a sense, a lowering of your social status from a worldly perspective. So your house, I mean, just think about this. Just just kind of walk this, this through. When you're standing before Jesus, your house will be gone. Your money, gone. The company you work for, gone. The position, gone. Whatever friends you have that gives you social status, those social things will be irrelevant at that point. Your car will be gone. right? All those things will be gone. And it will be you standing before Jesus and all that you'll have there is your love for him that you've nurtured through your life and the people whose Lives you've impacted, bringing them to know Jesus, strengthening them in Jesus, bringing them to Christ. That's what you'll have at that point. Okay? So what James is saying is, is if, I think what he's saying is, is if you're a rich believer, rejoice in this future humiliation because you will be glad on that day that all those things are stripped away. Because as, as all those things are taken away, Jesus is exalted before you. So it's like, yes! You, Jesus, are the glorious one, not these different social status things that you, you gave me in the course of following you, but strip those away. May all the glory go to you. You're all that's important. And so you can boast in your future humiliation in that sense. Now, just a couple of sentences here just to fine-tune this. You might think, okay, so if job's gone, house gone, money's gone, everything's gone... You might draw some wrong conclusions. For example, this does not mean, don't draw the conclusion that you don't need to work hard at your job. It's going to be gone. That's then. This is now. Okay? 
And now what Paul says is work hard at your job. Work really hard at your job. Not because you're dying to get the social status of moving up in the company. Work hard at your job for Jesus' glory. He's called you there as a missionary. So work hard. Display his love, goodness, excellence, honesty, productivity in the way that you work in your company. Work hard. Work diligent. Get there early. Leave late. Take care of your family and your kids and advance the ministry too. But anyway, you get what I'm saying, right? It doesn't mean you don't work hard at your job. It also doesn't mean you don't be ambitious in your life. But isn't there a difference between being ambitious for Jesus and his glory or being ambitious for you and your status? Isn't there a difference there? So be ambitious for Jesus and his glory. James isn't saying don't be ambitious. James also isn't saying that possessions are evil. Yes, they'll all fade away and be irrelevant then. It's not saying possessions are evil. We need to live in this world. And so he and Jesus, Paul, were called to live missionary lifestyles here where we set up our finances and our possessions in such a way that we can effectively raise up a family of missionaries to impact our neighborhoods, to impact our city. So you got to feed, clothe, house. You do all that stuff that's important to do. At the same time, there's this value in the Gospels of leaning towards a simpler and simpler standard of living. Leaning towards a lower and lower standard of living so that we have more to give away to the poor, to build the church, to advance the Gospel. Okay? So don't, don't misunderstand what James is saying here. But so... Here's what this means. If you're a believer and in the course of following Christ, you've got a high social status. Nothing wrong with that. Daniel, right? Joseph, those kinds of things happen. But don't put your identity in those. Don't put your identity in high-powered job, big pay, you know, whatever. Don't put your identity in those. Don't, Don't seek your security in those. Don't live for those. Instead... Here's what you should do. Rejoice in the fact that the day is coming when all that will be gone. And Jesus will be exalted. So nurture joy in your heart thinking about this position will someday be gone and forgotten. This car, whatever, this status, this salary, this whatever, will someday be gone and forgotten, and Jesus alone will be glorified. So nurture in your heart now joy in that future humbling that will come. That's what James is talking about. So do you see how radical this is in terms of social status? What he's saying is high social status or low social status, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. This is so crucial to us because, I mean, would you ever consider moving to a less desirable neighborhood with some brothers and sisters to plant a home group there to advance the gospel? Would you ever consider doing that? I hope you all would. Maybe, maybe we all will, you know, if the, as the Lord calls. I mean, every neighborhood in San Jose needs the gospel. Would you ever consider that, or would you just think, well, no way, are you kidding me? 
I mean, that's like not even close to what I've been living my life for. You're living your life for what's going to be gone then. And are you really following Jesus if that's what you're living your life for? So would you ever consider doing that? That's why this is so crucial. Would you ever consider, let's say you got a real high-powered job, which is, again, nothing wrong with that, but what if, what if you sense the Lord calling you, I want you to quit this job and take a job that will take less hours and much less pay because I want you to spend more time advancing the gospel in this way. Would you ever consider doing that? Or would that kill you? See, Jesus calls people to do that kind of thing. Would you ever consider Jesus calling you to go join our friends Raj and Scout living in a, what is it, a $250 a month apartment in uh, North, in Central Asia? I'll just keep it kind of vague. But in like leaving here and, and going to live there, which is it's not, a, not a pretty place to live. It's, it's, no offense, Raj and Scout, you know, but it's just, it's, you know, it's just not a very pretty place to live. I mean, there's coal dust during the winter and, and it's crowded and, but would you ever consider doing that? That would be a lowering of social status. And you could boast in your future exaltation. Do you feel that? Okay. Wow, I've kind of preached a long time here. All right, I was going to open it for questions, but I don't think we're going to... Do you have any questions? It does mean something in this life. We've all got to eat lunch today, unless you're fasting. Okay. All right. Um, and we need a roof. And he, he didn't want you to be homeless. He could have led me to a soup kitchen where I would have seen a cross on the wall. Well, and, and he could have done that for you, right? So, again, you, he calls us in how we are to live, right? He calls, us, he calls us to provide for our families. He calls us to you know, provide food, shelter, clothing, all those different kinds of things. He calls us to work at our jobs. He calls us into those things. But there's a big difference between doing that and then the whole social status thing. Am I following him or am I pursuing a social status? So that, I think that's at least part of the, of the, of the answer to your question. Uh, yeah, be balanced. Uh, I'm, I'm a little hesitant. I don't, uh, I'm, I probably should even start. God, God calls you to get rest and to be healthy and to love your wife and your kids and to provide and to be part of a, of a Christ-centered community. And to join with them in advancing the mission. And so you gotta, you gotta work all those things out. You kinda gotta figure out. You don't wanna neglect any of them. Okay? So don't neglect any of the things that Jesus has called you to do. It's not like, don't pursue Jesus too much. You gotta be balanced. You're not saying that. But some people think that's what the word balance means. It's not like, you know, pursue Jesus in moderation. No. No. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Pursue Jesus with everything you've got. And he says, work at your job. Get the rest you need. Take the gospel to your neighbors. Right? Be responsible financially. Lean into a lower standard of living. Right? So pursue all these things that he calls us to do. Anyway, I'm getting... Okay, so there's more to say about that. But do you get my general drift? Okay, let me try to restate it then because... uh, in other words, 
the path of following Jesus can lead you into a very significant job in a very responsible position. And what he wants you to do is work hard at that job and shine with Jesus in that job and bless the company in that job and, in a sense, be devoted to that job under him. But understand, don't find your identity, your sense of meaning or significance in that job. Find it in Christ. That job will be gone one day. So is it possible to be devoted to a job for Christ's sake, knowing that it'll be gone one day, differently than being devoted to a job for my identity's sake, because the job will be gone and that, and that identity will be gone one day. So God can call you like a Joseph or a Daniel to a very high level position. And Joseph and Daniel were devoted to God's purposes there. But their identity, their sense of meaning, who they were, was not caught up in their position. And they could be demoted, and I'm sure they'd struggle a little bit, but they would be trusting, they'd be boasting then in their future exaltation. Okay, keep wrestling with these things in your home group. That's a good way to punt at this point. (laughs) Keep wrestling with these things in your home group. Thank you, Lord, for home groups for many reasons. Here's the final thing I want to leave you with. It's just simply this. What's important is not social status. It's following Jesus. So put your focus there. Now let's have the band come up. We want to prepare for communion. Here's what I want us to do with communion. There's three ways that I think coming to the cross will be a powerful segue from this message. One is, I think many of us need to come before the cross and repent for how much of our identity and joy and meaning comes from seeking or having a high social status. And I think we need to come and just lay that down before the Lord Jesus and repent of that. That's, so come before the cross. I was going to say something else first. Jesus lived this out, didn't he? Who's experienced a more radical lowering of social status than Jesus? God. Creator God becoming one of us. I mean, that doesn't bother you so much because you're one of us, but imagine being God becoming one of us. I mean, talk about a radical lowering of social status. And then the very bottom of humanity being tortured to death on a cross. But then God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. Okay, so just say, Jesus, we're following you. And so, yes, sometimes following you can lead to lowering social status. Okay, but now, let's come before the cross and let's repent of putting our identity, finding our meaning in things that one day are going to be gone, more so than putting it in Jesus, knowing him, relying on him. So, let's repent. And then secondly, I want to encourage us to find the strength we need to live this way in Jesus. Don't just like, okay, I'm going to really try hard to live this this week. That's not what following Jesus is about. It's not about you trying hard to do things. You come to Jesus and say, would you help me with this? I want to see you more clearly, see your glory more splendidly. Change my heart as I come before the cross. Now give me this, I pray. I want to be able to boast in future exaltation. I want to be able to boast in future humiliation, lowering but I need to come to you to receive this. So repent and then receive everything that you need from Jesus.
It's coming before the cross to be before him. And then let's just all receive forgiveness in a fresh way tonight, in a fresh, uh, this morning, a fresh outpouring of his love upon us. The cross is a time, let me just explain communion. It's a time for people who, who are following Jesus. We're not perfect people or you know, super good people. We realize we're sinful people, but we're trusting Jesus. He's changing us, we're growing, but we don't come to communion because of how righteous we are, how good we are. We come because of what Jesus has done. We come acknowledging that we're sinful. So if that's in your heart, communion's for you. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then I would encourage you, just sit, don't, don't partake of communion because it, it wouldn't be right. And it could be a dangerous thing, Paul says. So, but if, you're, if you realize you're, you're, you're a sinful man, woman, and you want to come and trust Jesus, ask him to forgive you, surrender your life to him, then communion's for you. So Lord, I pray that you'd come upon us right now. Would you show us the cross clearly this morning? What lowering you experienced, Jesus. Forgive us for balking at things that come to us in the path of following you. Let us embrace the cross and embrace whatever humbling you've brought to us because we know that future exaltation's coming. We want to confess, Lord, any ways we've sought our identity in other things. Forgive us, cleanse us as we come and confess. We want to receive the enabling and the empowering to live this way. So would you give us grace to do that? And we just want to have you pour your love into our hearts, Lord. Meet us, whatever needs there are. We know that you'll meet them through the cross as we come. So we just want to set our hearts on the cross now. Open our eyes, stir our hearts. Meet us, I pray. In Jesus' name.